This episode of the podcast is dedicated to the memory of our friend, Mike Stuhler, who passed away on December 27th, aged just 54. As a huge aficionado of classic arcade machines, Mike put his encyclopedic knowledge of the games that we all remember so fondly to good use and was a dedicated volunteer for the American Classic Arcade Museum for well over 20 years. He served as board member, educational program director and museum vice president. Mike really understood the importance of the early years of arcade video gaming and he worked tirelessly to ensure that the history of the video game industry was preserved, documented and recounted for future generations. Mike was a huge advocate of the Ted Dabney experience and what we're trying to do here and many of the guests we've interviewed to date were a direct or indirect result of Mike's suggestions and introductions. But above all else, Mike was just this great guy. He was full of love, he always had a smile for everyone and he gave us lots of laughs. For all of these reasons, Mike's presence on the round table of classic arcade gaming is nothing short of irreplaceable, and we will miss his humour, his candour, and his support enormously. Hello, I'm Dave Sherman, former engineer at Atari, and you're listening to The Ted Dabney Experience. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Richard May, and I'm here as always with Retro Gamer Magazine's Paul Drury. Hello. And the author of Missile Commander, a journey to the top of an arcade classic, Tony Temple. Hi. In the early days of arcade video games, the efforts of the hardware engineer were as integral to the creation of the game as the work of the programmer. Dave Sherman joined Atari shortly prior to Nolan Bushnell's departure, and was at the company through its precipitous near collapse and subsequent restructuring during the infamous market crash of 83 and 84. Sherman worked alongside Dave Toyer on iconic titles such as I, Robot, and Missile Command, and shares with us many an anecdote about those early days, including soundly beating Bushnell at his own predilection for strategy board game Go, and something or other about a hot tub or two, thanks to Paul. Post-Atari, Dave engineered a dual-purpose CAD system generating fluid texture-mapped polygon graphics for video game application a good eight years before Sony ruled the roost with the PlayStation. As ever, thank you for listening. We really do appreciate it. You can find all the usual social media links at tdepodcast.net and support us at Kofi. The URL for that is ko-fi.com forward slash tdepodcast. And as Tony said at the top of the show, this episode is dedicated to the memory of our friend and advocate, Mike Stuhler. Hi, I'm Gary Vincent. And I'm Mike Stuhler. The Ted Dabney Experience podcast is brought to you in association with ACAM, the American Classic Arcade Museum. Visit ClassicArcadeMuseum.org to learn more about our collection and visit us in Laconia, New Hampshire. Mr. Sherman, yes. Atari employee number 01400. <laughs> um, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Sure. Yeah. 
Um, I think I'd, we'd like to start by talking to you about your path, you know, leading up to your job at Atari in the 70s. So ah. can you tell us a little about your younger years in the in the 60s and the 70s and your your perhaps your early interactions with technology? Sure. Um, I uh, I was not a, a I had an unusual uh, interaction with technology. I wasn't a technology geek like a lot of people were when they were younger. I was a board game enthusiast. And so I, you know, I played any board game that you would put in front of me that was didn't have a random chance, that was like pure skill. And uh, eventually I uh, ended up learning Go, which is where uh, the, the word Atari comes from that game. Mm. So, and I got uh, uh, extremely interested in that game, obsessive. <laughs> if you want, mm. uh, and uh, got good at it. So I I went to school. I was actually born in the land of milk and honey. I I was born in California, in, and I lived in Silicon Valley, so I didn't have to go very far. Right. And uh, so, uh, let's see, I graduated and went to Berkeley. Uh, uh, I got into Berkeley, and I studied electrical engineering there. Actually, I started as a math major, right? And uh, the I got all the way through to about the middle of my junior year. By the end of my sophomore year, I was ahead. And then I took a class in number theory, where the professor, the whole point of the class was to to prove in number theory that one plus one equals two. And I just looked into the sky and I went, I can't. Mm. <laughs> I'm not gonna. I, mean, I love math, but I'm not gonna. I kind of can spend my life doing that. So I switched to electrical engineering and that's and then I spent the last two years catching up mm, with mm. Uh, electrical engineering. So you were so you were born when? 1950 1954. 54. So you were 54. Okay, so I'm just getting my American decades right in terms of cultural impact. So Kennedy was 60. Uh, yeah, 69. I I remember when Kennedy was assassinated. Yeah, so you kind of um I mean the 60s of course were, you know, they started off um yeah, hugely optimistic and uh, ended on the far end of the scale, didn't yeah. they? So that was yeah. your your earliest memories, presumably, right? It was in, in that decade. It was intense. I mean, yeah. I mean, I I remember you know duck and cover and yeah. all that stuff when we were in grade school. I was and, going to straight straight into the Cuban Missile Crisis and the specter of Armageddon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, I mean, it, it's it's stuck. You know, I mean, the, the whole that whole era. Of, was I mean it sort of went away a little bit in the seventies. Yeah. The you know, um, but the sixties was very intense. Still have bloody Vietnam though, right? <laughs> and oh and and you know, I I managed to avoid duty in Vietnam by, you know, one a year maybe for the draft. And uh and that you know, I just Martin Luther King being assassinated, the whole thing was just a I mean <laughs> it makes an impression on you, you know. Yeah, quite a few uh, decades. Moon landing. Color, uh, the yeah. prevalence of color TV. So yeah, oh, I, mean, I that, was that, a big. I was a very. I, as far as that goes, I was a very. I was a space and science fiction enthusiast. Sure. So so that I was really into that, and and I was really intensely interested in the space program and the moon landing and that stuff. Yeah. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um. So I mean, you know, the kind of tech or consumer tech, I guess, that was around during that era i mean you know in this day and age especially to um i guess for the last few generations technology is uh it's i mean it, it's simply that of incremental almost imperceptible evolution there are no kind of very obvious seismic changes tech is simply a, a day-to-day background noise i guess which i guess would be like the child's eye perspective of the last few generations as i say but yep. i mean back then i guess everything was uh brand new right you know getting a color tv for the first time was quite the thing i assume i we 
I got a color TV in the 70s. My my right. family was it was black and white. And uh, and then so I mean, here's the thing. When I was at Berkeley, they were just letting people starting to use calculators because it was considered an unfair advantage. So there was still slide rules, right? And and I couldn't afford even a calculator anyway. I was like 300, mm-hmm. 400 bucks because I was a poor student. So I mean, yeah, I was like, I come from before time. Yeah, it's like you know, <laughs> I like that. I, co- I I I come from an engineering discipline at Berkeley that didn't know C programming. Mm. They didn't teach it when I, or they maybe the programmers taught it, but as a general thing that you learned, it, you know, I learned Pascal and Fortran and things on mainframes but that was different so sure yeah it's, it's been a it's been a real experience to to uh to live through all those changes so that's for sure i would imagine i mean tell me just go back quickly tell me about your enthusiasm for um all things space and the things of that nature and watching those moon landings oh uh, oh it was i mean again it was on a black and white tv and sure you know it was the it was the usual story of you know gathering around the tv you know in real time watching the, the the footstep and my dad worked at uh, Lockheed. Oh, go go! Um, and so so you know I got all the Agena you know uh, boilerplate things and the oh. pens and the <laughs> you know the the little glossies of 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 all the he could never tell me what he did. Right. He worked on no, I mean he it was, it was it was like top secret or some something like that that he really worked on. Right, right. Wow. I come to I I always bugged me. I come to find out at at the end of his life, uh, he worked on spy satellites. <laughs> oh, did he really? All right, okay. Yes, yeah. How many years yeah, so. were you bugging him about UFOs? Like, Dad, what about Roswell? Well, I, no, I was like, hey, come on, just tell me. A li- come on, you know, I'm, I won't tell anybody. No, nope, no, nope, he was <laughs> he was by the book, by the book. Very frustrating, but but you know, I got all the I got all this the public stuff that Lockheed did for the space program. Awesome. Um, so that was. That was fun. I, I, I suppose the obvious question next would be, um, okay, so you got your, your family got the first, your first color TV in the 70s. But in terms of um, tech of that era, were you, were you one to try and figure how things work by taking it apart? Were, were you one of those kids? Uh, uh, to some extent. I mean, I still remember that at one point I did get it in my head to like, I was going to design a computer. Um, but I had a very, this was like, when I was pretty young. And so I had a very literal image of what a computer was. And I came up with this scheme of like, okay, there's going to be a bunch of wires and they're going to make connections mechanically and stuff. And so it wasn't a real thing, you know, because I, like I said, I was really young. But then, like I said, I got, I just, I spent all my time really uh, involved in, like I read everything I could find. Yeah. I mean, it, there wasn't a topic that I wouldn't read a, read a technical book on or a, or a math book. I got very interested in math and board games. I spent hours and hours. Luckily, I had a, a neighbor that was, you know, could stand up to me and we right. were pretty equal. And so we played for, you know, we played for hours and hours and days. <laughs> so, um, uh, I mean, I, I, I would not say I was, I, I, like I said, I think I was pretty atypical. I, in, when I was a kid, I didn't, I wasn't like a, of take it apart. I mean, I did, I did the usual taking apart things like watches and putting them back together and stuff. Just you know, just cause. But I did. I wasn't like obsessive about it yeah, like some people sure, are when they're sure, sure. Into that age. Okay, so going back, going back to more formal qualifications, mm-hmm. um, let's say, and 
I guess, you know, tell us about your um, introduction to Atari. Tell us how you approached or were, were approached. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, I, uh, well, okay. So I, I was graduating from Berkeley with a BSEE in 76, end of 76, winter. Uh-huh. And, uh, and Atari was trying to ramp up their staff. And so they came to Berkeley to interview and along with, you know, all the, you know, Lockheed came, Boeing came, all the, all the big companies came to, inter- and the only company I interviewed for, interviewed with was Atari, because I just couldn't see myself working for any of those big companies. I was, I was a little bit of a independent person mm. <laughs> at that point. So I literally just interviewed for Atari and, and it was based on the, you know, the name. Right. It's like I, 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 I was actually when I was at Berkeley, I became I spent actually quite a substantial amount of my time getting good at Go. And I got to be like a really expert player, like black belt level. <laughs> uh, uh, and I would and I actually was a West Coast champion at one point for amateur. Oh, right, so okay. so I was re- so I was obsessed by that game. And then here's this company named Atari, which is a move in the in the game of Go. And I went, OK, that. You know, that's you know, that's sort of fate there. I'm gonna do that. And then plus they're doing games, which I was, you know, into games. So I the stars aligned. Yeah. So I interviewed and and the funny story is that it was a guy named Don Lang, hmm. uh, who was like uh, with Dave Steuben and uh, a few other people had just been hired and they were hired to be, you know, junior manager people. He came to interview me and I was totally sucking the interview question because it was a trick question. And and then it's some, you know, somehow I had a light bulb go off and I answered the question and he, and so then I, they made me an offer, but no one else answered that question. Oh, really? It was, it was, it was a, one of, it was one of those, you know, it tricks, it was a, a question that tricked you into following like the standard way of, of solving an electronics problem. And that totally led you down a path that was no good. But if you were creative, had a little creative look at it, you could solve it easily. And I, fortunately, at the end... Do you, re- do you recall that question, Dave? Yeah, it was... Well, I mean, okay, te- <laughs> tech nerd alert here. It was uh, two two XOR gates feeding another XOR gate. And the first two XOR gates had the same inputs. And so it always produced a, the answer one, no matter what you put into it. <laughs> and what that was the confusing part, right? Because when you'd go through and solve it, you got this answer. Oh, that can't be right. It always says one. I'm doing something wrong. And I think a lot of people got trapped there. And I just, something happened. And I just looked at it. And I went, no, that's not it. <laughs> it's just one. And he looked at me and he said, okay, you got it. That's kind of So uh, it's a simple, simple <laughs> it's a simple thing. But Yeah, that's kind of cool. I've got absolutely no idea what you're talking about, but obviously you passed the test. <laughs> uh, well, no, that's why I say I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a, I mean, I'm in the har- I'm a hardware engineer, so no, no, God, it wasn't it wasn't a criticism. I like it's, it's good when no, you know, no, uh, by all means. Uh, no. What about your father? Was he um, disappointed that you didn't interview for Lockheed, for example, and went went with this obscure games like hippie games company? I never asked. <laughs> oh, okay. I never fine. asked him. Right. I mean, you know, I mean, I, 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 I had a we had I had a very a very close relationship with my parents. But they were busy. I was busy, you know, cloning off, yeah. being my own person, and and uh, and I just I I even though I wasn't like a huge like hippy dippy person at Berkeley, I was actually sort of on the conservative side. I 
still absorbed enough of the and i'd also seen the vietnam war right on tv every night yeah i had a big opinion about working for right. a big company making bombs so yeah, yeah so that was why i only went i was i, I don't know what i was going to do if i didn't get the job but <laughs> anyway so it's kind of a kind of a, a a considered silent protest more than more than anything more um elaborate well yeah i mean i i didn't i didn't rub it into him that i didn't interview at lockheed you know i mean i and i mean god you know lockheed fed me right <laughs> when i was sure, a kid yeah you know? sure so and you sound and, like a man with a with a with a head on his shoulders even at that age dave i was uh, uh, I was opinionated. I, I mean, I, I, I definitely was, and I had my own thoughts, and that's the way it was, and and people really couldn't talk me out of it. So, <laughs> anyway. Dave, thank you so much for coming on the the podcast. I, I mean, we have had many guests from Atari who would call themselves engineers but when you talk to them you realize that that was kind of on the programming side of engineering you were very much on the hardware side have we got that right oh absolutely okay yeah uh, totally i mean i knew how to pro eventually as i worked at atari i knew how to program yeah i actually got pretty good at it in some ways, on a, on a on a down on a gut on a like a minute level, and I suppose that was in, even if you're working on hardware, I suppose you have to to understand the software side of things to make the hardware um, useful and, and fit with it. Would that be right? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, actually, one of the things they did with me uh, or to me <laughs> when uh, when I was a young engineer was they said, "Okay, you're going to learn how to work." program a 6502 right and i like i said i had no i didn't i had uh programming knowledge of like on some mainframes with the old old style languages but i didn't know that so uh they put me under you may have heard of the name mike alba yes dr bizarro we hear was his was his name yes he oh he was he was uh amazing (laughs) amazing technically Okay, a very, yeah, I mean, that's a good description, I guess. <laughs> Maybe he would self-style himself as Dr. Bizarro, I'm sure. Um, but uh, so I, I took Sprint 2 hardware. Oh, okay. And yeah. they had, uh, there was a game called Hydro Sprint. Yep. That, that It's like, at that point, everything was Sprint, Sprint, Sprint yes. had been successful. So it was like uh, Air Race. There was a version of, there was the Air Race One, which I'm calling it, which was you you got sort of a three quarters view of airplanes flying around pylons, you know, like they do in an air race. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there was that, and then there were, then they made me program Hydro Sprint, and uh, so that was speedboats. So was this on a as course. a sort of training exercise, um, Dave, to to prove your chops? Yeah, it was, it was. It's like you. It was like yeah. I was like, well, you don't know anything about this, so you better learn it quick. You know. <laughs> okay. Fair so, enough. Okay, interesting. Right. Uh, so I went. Oh, I went. Okay. Well, they. Well, they. I guess they thought I could do it, and so I. I looked at the code, and I looked at. I read the manual, and did all that stuff, and I went. Oh, okay, I can do this. And so, the interesting thing about that game was that uh, I came up with hardware to put like a boat wake behind it. So as it traveled through the water, it would leave a realistic boat wake behind it and uh and i modeled it after the physics of a shock wave and uh and and came up with i changed the hardware so that you could write the the foam (laughs) the the foam uh uh 
pattern in to a bunch of a bunch of motion objects and you could put them in it and it would grow the 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 end you know how it yeah, fades yeah, yeah. out at the end like a real boat and if you're you know but so it did that realistically and so that was something i was i was proud of just like I'm being fascinated. able to add that that game <laughs> was that was just an exercise that i mean hydro sprint never came out did it that was just like a, a test no well you know it's just like like the, this this air race one i think dennis was it Cobalt, De- that De- I, yeah yeah i think so i think he he worked on that a little bit that one was really I remember, uh, I don't remember what I did on it. I think maybe the sounds or something. Um, I wasn't, in, but Hydro Sprint, it never came out because I think people looked around and went, you know, it's in, it's another Sprint game. Yeah, you know, we've and, had and, enough and, of you know, it. Yeah. We've had sprint enough eight. Sprint <laughs> games. And so yeah. after I put all this energy into it, the other funny story from a t- for Michael, uh, Mike helped me a lot, you know, gave me pointers. And I, uh, since I was just learning, I did some dumb things. I put, like, I, I put the entire gameplay in the interrupt routine. That's not going to work, is it? <laughs> and, it <laughs> and it would like, oh, well, it did up to a point, And then it would start bombing all the time. And I said, and I went, yeah, why, what? You know, so he helped me with that. And, you know, so that, it was a, it was a good, I learned, I learned all about, you know, or not all about, but the basics of, you know, how to program. That's, so that's fascinating. Uh, now you joined Atari in 1977. Now that yeah. was just about in the transitional period when games previously had been made in, in hardware using discrete logic, but now Atari games were starting to use microprocessors. Correct. So am I right that you were there and you witnessed that change? Uh, well, okay. So they were already starting to do that when I got there. But I, I mean, I worked on, I mean, there was definitely a transition period. The one, the very first thing they put me on, well, I put in, I worked in pinball Uh, on the hardware um and i was tasked with at that point people would walk up to the pin our our pinball machines and spark them okay what does that mean and they get free play oh i see they oh with a like like a little sparker right right? like you like you like you used to like a a little electric charge and they'd spark Mm -hmm. the the coin and they get Ah. a free play and it was driving us nuts (laughs) and so they said dave fix this and I went, <laughs> right. They had all sorts of crazy ideas. We'd spray copper paint inside the <laughs> pinball. And okay. Do, and, you know, and I was like, in the end, in the end, I don't know how I managed to get out of pinball because okay. I was driving me nuts. Fair enough. But they, they, I, I just wasn't that into it. That's fair enough. And so they moved me over. They moved me over to Dave Steuben's group and I was worked on. Let's just say a word about a, pinball. Does that mean that you work with Eugene Jarvis, who also started at Atari Pinball? Oh, yeah. Well, actually, Eugene and I were good friends while yeah, he was at what Atari. Was yeah. yeah, we, we, uh, he, I mean, he was, he's a real, uh, he's a real character. I guess everybody knows that. <laughs> We've heard the rumors, yes. <laughs> um, he, he, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, he was sort of madcap, and 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 also, you know, he uh, he was ambitious, uh, you know, so he left pretty soon, pretty quick. But we got to know, we got really friendly. We well, we went on mountain climbing trips together that I organized, and and uh, wow. yeah, I, I I he he almost didn't he almost didn't make it past those trips at some points in terms of what the crazy shit we were doing. What falling that or 
drowning in rivers or okay let's just think yes we could have had no robotron <laughs> and defender because you organized you killed no, you could have you, you killed have, eugene could jarvis yeah i could have, i could have been the person who killed eugene jarvis you know anyway <laughs> i didn't succeed okay so you left you left pinball and indeed eugene jarvis behind somewhat relieved and moved over to the video game division yeah i well it, the hardware the hardware wasn't that interesting right to me i was like Okay, you turn on this solenoid, you you or you, you know, you do this, you do that. It was like all very, for want of a better word, mechanical. And um, the programmers may have had a more interesting job, but I just was like, and so like I, I was grateful when I, I got see. out of there. So and it died soon after. I that think is, that is true. So you're in the video game department. Tell us yeah. what was the first game, particularly perhaps one that came out that you worked on. Um, 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 um oh, Destroyer. Or was it called? Or was it called Destroyer? Depth Charge. Depth okay. Charge. It was a. Was that? Was that the one? Anyway, it was like a, a boat would go across the screen. I think okay. it was a competitor to some Midway game that did the same thing. And uh, I did the sounds. I did the pingy sound, the ping ping, and the engine <laughs> the engine sounds. And that's interesting. You know, so so of course, that yeah, of course hardware involved doing circuits to make those sounds is that is that what you're saying there yeah yeah well i actually got pretty good at at making weirdo sounds for video games with just like you know a handful of uh discretes eventually atari designed something called a pokey chip ah, which yes. did their sounds I see. and uh and so so i was relieved of duty <laughs> which I, which i was good glad to be done with okay. that part but but i got good at making weird you know like get bespoke sounds for a particular game early in my what career. An interesting skill. So. Now, I we think, and again, tell us if we're wrong, is that we think that you worked on Video Pinball, which was an Ed Log game. So before I ask any more, have we got that right? That one doesn't... You know what? It's like, okay, that <laughs> okay. one I don't remember. I honest, honest to God, I don't remember. I That's new to me, but... I, I mean, maybe I did. I, I mean, think, you right. know, it's possible I did. I mean, it's, you know, it's 40, 40 years ago. And, okay, you know. we could just make anything up, couldn't we, I suppose. Um, but anyway, let, let's let's focus on something. Let's focus. So, if you say I did. <laughs> I think perhaps you said you worked on pinball, and I and I perhaps thought it was video pinball. I'm sure Richie will uh, edit okay. out that little exchange. Okay, let's uh, No, let's I'm, leaving, I'm leaving that in. I'm leaving that <laughs> in. That's let's let's try that again. Okay, uh, all right. Um, this, what about this question then? Is that so? You're in the video game department. We just wondered because you're on the hardware side. Yeah. Was it a question of a, a game designer or programmer basically saying, "This is what I want, Dave," and you trying to do it, or did you have some some input into what the game actually might be like? Well, I <clears throat> early on, you know, I like okay, Missile Command. The uh, the the hardware like there was a a meeting everybody got together. Well, this is this is you know, I guess the story is Gene Lipkin or somebody found a a, a glossy of a radar, and so we had a meeting, and I was invited into it. At that point, I I was had a reputation as a really solid engine electronics engineer and that was creative and they tasked me with doing atari's first uh, bitmap color game mm -hmm. so i did so um so that one was sort of like an assignment i i did some creative things with it 
um, to, okay. to c- cast. That's, that's and- interesting. I mean, Tony will, uh, he, he's apparently likes Missile Command for some reason. So he's, he'll probably pick that up in a little bit more, more depth. Let, let's stick to the seventies. Um, okay. tell us about those, uh, those early black and white. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, games in, in the seventies. Again, is there one that, that stands out for you that you were involved in? Maybe something that you were particularly pleased with some bit of hardware that you created? Well, let's see. I worked on that actually made a lot of, a lot of those early games, like there was a game called U-Boat, or oh, yes. um, it was restyled as uh, not Wolfpack. But it, 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 it never Wolfpack? went out into production. Wolfpack. Yeah, let's talk Wolfpack. about. Let's talk about that. They, we called we called we called it U-Boat for a long time. Um, mm. Then I guess there was some. I don't know why why they didn't go with that. Wolfpack sounded more sexy or something. Okay. Okay. Um, so so that was it was a fun game, but it was a huge. It was a mammoth, uh, uh, you know, like seven feet across, and 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 there's and you looked through the screen, and so people couldn't interact with it. You know, people couldn't watch it. Uh, so that was a yeah, problem. That's an interesting point. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, I did the sounds for that one again, and then I also designed a a, a a little thing that would put the torpedo image on on the screen. You know they would they would have pasties of ships out there, and I and I came up with a circuit to to put it put the torpedo oh, wake hey, out there. You're good at doing wakes, there, aren't you? Yeah, whether it's yeah, you're the wake I'm man. Di- I do, well, I was it was it was my it was my Brilliant. signature. Um, you mentioned you did the you mentioned you did the sound for a U boat stroke wolf pie, but of course it actually had digitized speech. So were you responsible for doing the speech as well? No, no, I, no. That was a, that was a like a well. I didn't digitize it or anything like that. I don't. I actually. I honestly don't remember. I think maybe they tried to uh, a sound chip or uh, like yeah, a voice chip does, or something. Uh, you know, yeah. but it does have this quite primitive stuff, like saying "fire one" and "danger, danger, enemy close." It sounds exactly like that. That's absolutely. I've absolutely nailed the impression. Yeah, of the I don't. I, can I just say? I mean, it could be that we digitized someone saying that, and we had just enough room back in the back then. Memory was super expensive. I mean, it was like like you would not recognize it today with you know mm-hmm. gigabytes for ten bucks, right? It was like two hundred fifty six <laughs> bits was was like what we could afford, right? No, I'm not. I'm not I'm exaggerating. In the in the in the late seventies and the mid, you know, like when I was first hired, that's that was like the gold standard was like a two fifty six by four RAM was what we could afford. So you know. It's, it, <laughs> so it it affected how you design stuff. Tell us, tell know, us about so. that. So when you were given a, a task, whether let's stick with with Wolfpack, and they're saying like, okay, you know, you need to build. The, I mean, I understand that the thing was so big, the actual periscope would sort of rotate. It was a huge, great thing. Yeah, you would ro- you would you would actually stand up. Yeah. Um, there was like a a railing to keep the other people from watching, uh, and you would be inside the railing <laughs> and rotating. <laughs> you would you would scan just like. For from a movie, just like from a you know a, a, a U boat movie, right? But, there was like, and then you'd you'd find a yeah. find a ship. I just find, I mean, it. it is. It looks amazing. What we the pictures we've got on some of the software, which you can you can play on emulator. But um, is that you just mentioned how expensive things were when you were creating the hardware? Did you constantly have maybe a boss on your back saying, "Dave, you need to make that cheaper"? Is that how it worked? Oh, oh, totally. I mean, I mean, you know, I. I well, actually, and that stuck to me my entire career, uh, even after Atari. I was like, I was 
incredibly mindful of of making uh, circuits and designs, hardware designs, super efficient. You know, with whatever technology there was at the time, I was I made a, a career out of doing you know super tight you know dialed like tightens down uh, okay. design. That's that's fascinating. So, now look, you cannot so good training. You, it sounds like it was you cannot. It sounds like you were making games in a team. You were the hardware person, and were you always linked? with a programmer as well tell us just about some of the basic dynamics there were you always matched with a coder oh uh, i mean yeah i mean that was one of the things i liked about atari is you is there like you know in some of the big companies you know you got big groups and ownership is diluted at atari you you were visible if you screwed up <laughs> you know so it was like one engineer typically or and a technician a programmer and a yeah. program manager. That was the core team. And then you would bring in industrial designers and you know artists and so on. And they would rotate amongst the teams. But while you were doing a project, there was like this core team and you were paired with a, a programmer. That's how it worked. Can I ask then, is there, was there any sense of hierarchy, Dave? I mean, was the, was the programmer, the game designer seen as well, more important than than you as the hardware designer, did you feel that? Intrinsically, that was the way. That was the sort of the Atari. Uh, the way that is the way Atari approached it, typically, and that was that was partly because a lot of times people would adapt a hardware, like yeah. like Sprint, like this, like my story about you know Hydra Sprint or whatever. I took a print as one of my first jobs, so I took that Sprint hardware. And a lot of engineers, they made their career doing that, right? They would just take a hardware, adapt it slightly, and then be the hardware engineer. And then the the programmer was, you know, the golden boy or the, you know, yeah. the 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 creative genius, right? And that was the way they people thought it. I rebelled against that. How did you rebel? Uh, well, I I designed. I took it upon myself to design interesting hardware, and and sometimes I would tell people after the fact, you know. Um, like I designed, you know, the game Liberator. Yeah. Uh, yes. There's a planet, rotating planet. Yeah, that's right. I designed, I I designed the planet hardware back in the days of of Spr of Sprint sprites. So I came up with an uh, with a hardware that would put a rotating planet. I I had there was no game. You did the I just did this hardware and I showed it to Dave Steuben. He said, "Oh, cool." But you know, people got. <laughs> Right and Tube Chase, which oh, is we're coming uh, to was, that. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, I worked. Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. That was bespoke hardware that I designed, sort of like just because I wanted to. So this is fascinating. Rather than one of my earlier questions was, you know, did a programmer say, "I need this, Dave, please go and create it"? And it sounds like that sometimes happened. But you're so, saying yeah, sure, you did. would create. You would say, "I have made something." You could make a game out of this. Yeah, I did that. I, I mean, that's that's my memory of how things happen. It like it was collaborative. I think you know I've, I've listened to a few of their podcasts and people emphasize that. And it was and it's true. People would go around to different groups and 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 you actually got street cred in the organization if you came up with ideas for other people to use. Like if you were free with your ideas, then people would be free with their ideas. Right? It was like. That's that was the that was very much that the way people it. operated. That so. sounds that kind of creative sharing seems to perhaps you know one of the things that made Atari so special. Yeah, know? I mean, there's a there there's a tension, right? Because uh, I was super, I was ambitious in an unusual way. I didn't, I had no ambitions for management. 
Mm-hmm. I didn't want to rise up the ladder. <laughs> I just wanted to do interesting hardware. And so, and so that actually made me not threatening to a lot of people that were also ambitious. <laughs> they could trust that I wasn't going to like shiv them in the back or whatever over some, you know, institutional thing, right? So you're being very, uh, so yeah, you're being very magnanimous. Of it. I just wonder though, I, when a game did well in the coin op department, bonuses would get paid. Do you do you think you got your fair share? Bearing in mind that often the, as you said, the uh, Golden Boy program, maybe maybe his contribution was seen more important than yours. I I well I I mean you know Missile Command bought my first house. So, okay. I mean <laughs> no, I mean well the down not the down payment, not the whole house, um, but you know, but so there the bonus program was okay in in the arcade mm-hmm. division. Um, and but the, so the the team it's the team voted how to split it up. Oh, oh so I see. if yeah, that's my recollection, right? You'd have a pool based on you know however many units sold or how much money they made or whatever, mm-hmm. and um, and you'd you know you'd get together and go well you know what do you you know and people would you know work it out. Um, so if you know if I if my contribution as a hardware engineer was really a significant portion. It's it would, you know, I'd get a bigger okay. piece. Generally, people were pretty fair about That's that. Yeah. But I mean, I have a story about Go that, on. which which is later on. It was after Missile Command. I, you know, there was a lot of uh, ill will. I, I have to say that about the difference between the coin up uh, bonus program and the consumer, yes, which was a lot program. more generous. I understand. Right? Yes, it was hugely more generous. And there was, you know, it was rankled to hear people that, like, there was this one guy was hired with, no, I mean, I, I, okay, I'm not like a, a prestige sort of person, but he was hired off the street as a teenager to port over some game. I even forget what it was, but it was one of the hugely uh, popular arcade games. Mm-hmm. And he did, and he, I guess, like, almost a million dollars in bonus or some ridiculous yep. thing. Yep. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and it all went... It all went towards fun and games. Yeah. <laughs> it was well, he was well known to, to you know, it's like, it was like, it was like, you know, a, a rap star, you know, blowing it, right? It's like, right? Okay. No, I'm not kidding. That's, well, that was well, the we, reputation. Well, we're talking about, you know, yeah, excessive um, uh, sort of lifestyles is that it is the law that you, you joined Atari when Warner had taken over, but Nolan Bushnell Correct. was still at Atari. Did you have yes. much interaction with uh, Nolan before he eventually left? I uh, One of my first uh, week or two at Atari was an interaction with Nolan. Oh, yeah. um, he played Go. Oh, of course. Yes. yeah. That's, yeah. But he wasn't really great at it. <gasps> he was, now, this is, hang on, this is a revelation now. Did you beat him at Go? Um, he invited me to his corner office mm-hmm. and, you know, he, was, he had a nice Go board set up. He said, well, you know, I heard you played Go, let's play. <laughs> and I went, okay, remember, I was like the West Coast champion wow. at the game. And, and, so, and so I went, well, yeah, but, you know, what kind of handicap do you want? <laughs> and he said, oh, let's skip the handicap. Because you always, at Go was very, unlike chess, you could give a decent handicap that was meaningful that would even up the odds that, a weak player would beat a strong player. And, I, and he said, oh, let's skip it. I, and I, I went, no, really. <laughs> and he went, hey, he, he was, okay, Nolan had an ego. Yes, yes. Right? Right. And so did I. And I was p- 
politically incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay, well, if that's the way you want it. And he didn't have any group left on the board when we were done. Okay, see, that was the only game. That's the only game he ever invited me to play. Okay, so so, so you you've just started work a new job and you managed to trash the boss at the game that he prides himself on. Okay, I now see well, why he didn't want to progress I, uh, up the hierarchy in a in a company. <laughs> I, well, that I will. It also, I guess, it tells you something about me. I mean, I just. I yeah I didn't I and it sort it was sort of peeved me you know okay you don't want to take a hint okay right and also I you know I took the game very seriously because obviously because I'd spent like years while I was supposed to be studying at Berkeley going to San Francisco go club wow. getting good that, at it you know that so. is impressive I, I take it then <laughs> after this did Nolan never invited huh? you to get into his hot tub well I did go to his house once yes <laughs> but. Wait no, I didn't get in his hot tub. Like, that was like that was like the last general. He I got in on the last time that he invited like engineering at a whole as a mm-hmm. whole. Uh, it was an oppressive house. It was empty because he had just bought mm-hmm. it, and there was no furniture. Mm-hmm. But that's what. But I did he have a hot tub? Was um, there a hot tub there? Oh, uh, you know, there was a pool and a hot tub, and you know, I. But, but swear to God, I'm already editing this in my head. We're obsessed. Right, go you on. guys are missing out. Okay, you you guys are missing out. Go on, tell okay? us, Dave. You, you keep asking about his his personal hot tub. Uh, oh, okay. But I have in my hand that I just found when I was digging through a box. Yes. It's an inner office memo. Go on. And it's titled Recreational Facilities in the New Engineering Building. Mm-hmm. And it's and it starts out, I have talked to the Reverend Billy Clyde Puckett, <laughs> famous moral authority, aka Gene Lipkin. Okay. And the following rules <laughs> will be used for the hot tub and the sauna. And then they go on to set very specific hours. Oh, yes. And and they and in bold it says the facilities will be closed on weekends. And it says further, Monday, Wednesday, Friday will be co-ed. Appropriate swimming attire is necessary. Oh, okay. Now they issued this memo to the entire organization. They re- I will leave it to your. Okay, at one point before they issued this memo, it was every every night in the sauna was clothes optional co-ed. <laughs> So I did not do that. Okay. okay. I want to make clear. I, I did not do that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but so you guys have been missing out this whole time with these questions, this obsession with his hot tub. You should have been asking people about the sauna. This private sauna. This is our new obsession. A new obsession. Well, thank you for giving us. I love the fact that he had to introduce a moral code. I, do, I just think that's that's wonderful. Um, well, it, well, the, the the funny part of this memo is Gene Lipkin was the moral authority. I'm like I'm so it was like the, uh, there were eye rolls everywhere. So anyway, right? Okay. Oh, are you suggesting that Gene might not have been the most upstanding moral member of the uh, Atari team? Is that what you're suggesting? Well, you know, well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I mean, not publicly. <laughs> Okay, Dave, I'm a huge fan of a game you mentioned a little while earlier, 
That is, of course, um, tube, oh, tube Chase. Well, it started out as Tube or, Chase. AKA Vertigo. Tube Chase, Vertigo, and then eventually Tunnel Hunt when it was released via Centuri. Yes. Um, we spoke with Owen Rubin a while back, yes. and he, he spoke fondly about Tunnel Hunt, but it was one of those projects that couldn't really find a comfortable home at Atari. So can you can you speak to that a little for us? Uh, yeah. So that was one of those uh, pro- hardware projects that I... I think there was some interaction with me and Owen about, you know, you know, how are we going to do some cheap 3D or something like that at some point? And I took it up on myself to design the only thing we could afford, which was this this thing that looked like you were flying down a tube. And I came up with a way to put ellipses on the screen mm. and nest them so that it looked like a tube. And you could move the centers of the ellipses around and make it look like you're turning corners and you could shade them differently, like dim far away. And and then I also added the ability to split, to, to, to look like one, like you were having two tunnels split. So you could make choices. Um, and so I did that hardware. And okay, keep in mind, this was in a time when People were still doing eight by eight sprints, like uh, sprites, like sprint, and so on. And just just put a pin in that thought for a moment okay. for me, Dave, because yeah. that split was a precursor to games such as Outrun, which uh, obviously which which came along much later, where where whereby you could choose your path. Right. Yeah. Um, well, that was and the I idea. I believe Tunnel Hunt was the first game that did that. That right? was the idea. Um, yeah. And uh, so I guess that was like I did that and. The original hardware, seventy late seventy eight. I don't know. I, I'm I, I, the dates. Okay, one thing about this is dates might be off by like six months or a year, yeah, but that's all right. somewhere in there. <laughs> um, yeah. And okay, so so we so Owen liked it, and he made the game, and we put one of those growth pasty Tie Fighters in there uh, yeah, it's as the a enemy, tie fighter, isn't it? right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. <laughs> that was the thing, right? And you know, and yeah. and and there was like. I, I can't claim that I I just stole the 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 growth pasty from like what pole position or some 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 place like that. I may have cheapened it up a little okay. bit to make it yeah, more yeah. cost effective. Yeah. But um, so that would fly down ahead of you and sh- try and shoot you, and you could scrape on the wall of the tube and it would sort of gl- glow or whatever you know and tell you you were scraping. Yeah, yeah. So so did all that. I think we put it out on. I, I think we put it out on, on out in the arcade. And it, uh, my recollection is it did okay, uh, but people were a little bit confused by it because no one had seen anything like it before. Or, um, do you do you do you remember it when it when it was a vector title, or, or you you were brought in only when it would? I think that uh, only I th- when it I, had become a raster, right? Yeah, yeah. I I designed. I mean. Vector, I think, I think what, let's see, I'm trying to, oh, you know what, it's coming back a little bit. I think the problem with that was that they, the people had trouble with the depth perception because the vectors would, it wasn't clear who was on top of whom and in terms of like, and it was Mm -hmm. a square or something, Uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So now I didn't have anything to do with the vector pro, I never worked on a vector game, uh, because, and there were people already working on it and, and I couldn't see a way I, I even though it looked crisp and that like the graphics were nice there was very limited mm. the, like the games you could actually do on it seemed limited to me in terms of like the, toy with tempest was like a revelation that you could you know <laughs> graphically that was something else um but yeah sure. um, but i just yeah. wasn't i wasn't into it so i didn't work on that but the funny part about tube chase is 
it, you had mentioned management being on me about cost and it right. cost, I, I had to put a few, a f, I had like a prom or two to specify the ellipse and, I, and to put in the split, I had to duplicate a particular area of circuitry and they went, it's too expensive. I was like, well, like we're talking about 20 bucks maybe <laughs> or something. Okay. I said, okay, well, we'll take the circles out or, or we'll t- turn it into squares or... <laughs> Right. Or, or then they said, I'll take the split out. Damn it. You know, it's like, I it's like right. they progressively neutered it to the point where, wow. you know, eventually I guess it got, uh, Owen wrapped it up and it went out the door as tunnel hunt or whatever. But I had moved on from that point. Well, eventually, I mean, it, it yeah, yeah, sure. So it went, it, it went out, um, Centuri put it out as tunnel hunt, but you were, yeah, it, it did have quite the convoluted development process, didn't it? Oh, because years. it started at Atari it and it sat went, there yeah, for yeah, years yeah, yeah. and years. And, and it's one of those things that Atari did a couple of times where if they had just gone with it, you know, they could have had a, uh, who knows what, whether the gameplay would have caught on, but you know. Yeah, sure. And, and and this is also a good example of you creating something interesting that a programmer a programmer could take and adapt into a game, right? So that's, you know, that speaks more to your I, I guess claim of of authorship. Um, yeah, I, I was big know. I was big into that. I also yeah. I didn't like doing the same thing twice. You know, I wanted to do something new. Yeah. So every project I I liked to try and do something different or new or, you know, uh, exciting to me in terms of a challenge to like back in that era, how do you, how could you do a 3d, you know, uh, illusion cheaply, you know, relatively cheaply. Yeah. So did you, did you play Centuri's version of tunnel hunt when it, when it actually came out? Um, Ugh. Cause it, because it was kind of, um, it was a little bit old and long in the tooth, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, it was, it, it was it too painful. Finally hit was, the arcade floor. It was too painful. I mean, you know, it's like, and also I was, I was busy with iRobot <laughs> okay. at that point. I didn't, mm. I, I, I think they had me involved in it briefly because I'd done some hard, done the hardware, you know, or whatever. But mm. Um, mm. I was distinctly uninterested in it at that point because it was, that was like 83, 84. It was like. Oh, wow. Really? Was it? No, that it was. Okay. I don't know. I forget okay. at this point, but. Right, it was right. way old at that point. But you mentioned earlier that you did, obviously, Atari did put it out on test. Um, I that's earlier. my recollection is that it did okay. Sure, and it, and it did okay, but not not like not no one. They would have made it, you know, for sure at that point if it had gone, uh, you know, and f- f- overflowed the coin box, right? That. I do I do recall Ruben now actually saying that it was it did really really well but because it wasn't like number one or anything Atari just kind of put it on the shelf yeah 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 yeah. I mean Atari was in our Atari went through stages where they were like it's got to be number one or number two or we're not gonna you know forget it you know that sort of thing scorched earth yeah Yeah. well and 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 I think other people have referenced that there was a production line to fill and they had to fill it and so it, it uh, like a, a mediocre game might make it through into production if they needed to fill the production line, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But or if, sure. But if they if they were like had a missile command type of uh, game, you know, ready in then you know, that would kill some things. You know, they would just say, oh, you know. Yeah. No. Absolutely. So. Of course. And you mentioned Dave Toya um a few minutes back so i'm going to throw you um over to tony and he's going to talk to you about working with dave 
so Dave, you, as as mentioned, and as we all know, you worked very closely with uh, Dave Toyer on two titles, uh, Missile Command and iRobot, yes. of course. Yes. Um, we we are, despite what the other two guys will tell you, we are all fans of Missile Command here on podcast, aren't we, boys? It's all right. <laughs> yes, Tony, we love it. Good. It was a great um, game, but, actually. Uh, that is right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, um, oh, yeah. We. Don't let my kids go. <laughs> I did have one. I've got the replicate Diddy version at the moment, and that's fine by me. <laughs> Honestly, David's like it's like playground here sometimes. I, I'm into it. Um, we've we've um we've we've obviously spoken extensively about the sort of programming and sort of you know creation of the nugget of the idea of Missile Command here on the podcast in the uh, past. But I wonder if you could fill in some of the engineering gaps for us. Um, sure. And. I just wonder at at what point after the draft plan that Dave and Rich Adam came up with for the game, at what point would you get pulled into um, a project like Missile Command to add your your particular expertise? Uh, actually, it was pretty. I mean, my recollection was there was a meeting with management, and it was was it Steve Calfee, Lyle Rains, but the people that were like above the 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 Steuben mm-hmm. level, just above it in there, and and the the meeting was discussed, or the the project was discussed in general, sort of like in general terms, mm-hmm. and I was there in that meeting, and, and I was just understood to be the hardware engineer right from the start. Okay, that's, that's my recollection. Anyway. Yeah. And it and at what point would you be able to start, you know, doing your thing? Would would you have to wait for the idea of the game to be developed, or, you know, some? Well, pro- I was. It was clear enough. It was the charter was clear enough, and the game description was clear mm-hmm. enough it, 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 at the start for me to design hardware to. Okay. So you know, we we had never done a color DRAM game based, you know, bitmap based game before. Yes. And so I researched the, you know, I did all the techie, you know, hardware nerd stuff of, you know, finding the right DRAM, you know, specking it, designing, you know, as cheaply as possible, um, like, you know, dialing it, you know, tightening it down, tightening it down, tightening it down so that the DRAM was, was expensive. It was an expensive component for us to use yeah. at that time. And so, you know, I had to make the circuitry around it as spare as possible and still get the gameplay. Yeah. Um, so I did one thing I did interesting was at the, the DRAMs, there were the DRAMs were used for, for working memory where it was in V blanking. Uh, you know, there would be extra memory that wasn't displayed because of the raster. And I, I took some of that memory and mapped it up into the screen down at the bottom where the the, the um, cities are yep. and the bases. Mm-hmm. And that gave a three-bit depth, uh, pixel depth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. Two bits everywhere in the screen and then three bits down below. Yep. And I gave it a, a different color mapping scheme. So you could pick, there's more colors down there and you could pick a different color map than the one that was used up where the enemies were. So it gave a lot more feeling of detail that you could get out instead of out of two bits, you know, everywhere. Um, so, I mean, so I did, I did the things that I, that I could, you know, to be creative about that. And, you know, the, the things I remember from the hardware point of view were that, you know, Atari again tried to be cheap. And so uh, that was, I mean, that was, a, that was a thing. It was a good thing, mostly. Um, so they tried to get me to spec defective DRAMs. So they would contact the manufacturers and they would say, oh, half the DRAM is, half of a particular chip is dead. And they, you know, they could get it for like really cheap because it was worthless to most people. But 
well, Dave, why don't you just figure out how to map out the half that's broken? And I, I swear, this this was a thing. I swear, and and I said, okay, well, I'll try. And I and I did, but then they went, no, it's too much hassle. Oh wow! So I mean, I got by using DRAMs. You could buy the the next generation up, and that would be half defective. And so I could use the ones that was designed use that instead of the ones it was designed. It was a big mess. Wow. I mean, there were split pads all over the PC board and they finally relented and, and gave that one up. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. And so, and so anyway. um, how how taken were you with the with the premise and the idea of Missile Command, you, you know, given the the uh, wider global situation at the time? Well, it was, it was, I mean, it was distressing. I mean, I think, you know, Dave is infamously, you know, you know, it's like he had nightmares, and it's like I had daymares. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not kidding. It's like I would finish work, I'd go home, and before I fell asleep, I would like lay there for 20 minutes and go, "Is this the day, or is the is this the moment where I see the bright glow <laughs> in my window before I get vaporized?" Right? I mean, we we're just down the street from, from the naval base right yeah. uh, like a couple miles away so so i mean i felt the same way everyone i've heard people say that they think that's apocryphal dave had a tender side and you know i did too to a certain extent and we were very affected by the 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 idea that we were making a game out of you know global destruction and you know i got i i, I actually struggled with it i got over it and I got over it by telling myself that we were making a game that was hopeless. <laughs> you got it got harder and harder and harder and harder and harder, and yeah. you would never get to the end, and you would never win. And when you died, there would be this big glowing the end. And I and I said, okay, this is a good thing because maybe it'll stick in somebody's head. Yeah. That you know, and so that's how I justified working on it. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I I wonder if Missile Command, certainly for Atari, was was the first arcade game that that you know kind of kind of kind of touched on some of those themes and and and, and sort of you know pricked the mind of. Well, games. I mean, there was yeah, we, there was you, there were all the de the Destroyer and U boat, and there was all these battle games, mm. you know, that were before. So it wasn't unique in that regard. Mm. But I mean, yeah, it certainly t let's say it it tapped into the zeitgeist. You know that right. movie, the day after it just showed mm -hmm. up, and you know, and and so it was, it was a huge. I would just remember being everybody was like, was it was in people's heads, yeah, sure, for sure. Sorry, sorry to cut in, guys, but it's it's interesting um, that you come from essentially, I guess, like a, a a military family in some in some senses. I mean, an engineering family, of course, but still, with 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 your father working for Lockheed, and yeah. you you mentioned, of course that you kind of chose Atari over the military industrial complex options yes, back in I did back at Berkeley uh, and it's interesting now how that still played a part in your um, yeah. your 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 discomfort and discombobulation <laughs> I guess with when it comes to a uh, missile command I uh, destiny I don't know is that what you're saying or uh, like I was I was uh, well you came full yeah, circle didn't like you like joined the games company and I then did. you were joined you were playing the, I, no the irony doesn't the irony didn't escape me for sure <laughs> yeah um, and uh, you know and I mean, I don't want to put too fine a point on it, but it was it was 
back actually there was a whole uh when when shooters started to come out like you know first person shooters and and atari was a little bit behind some of the other companies in that in that in that in terms of like the mass shooting Mm, uh, aspects of you know like blasting and blasting and and part of that was because i think the engineering, a lot of people in the engineering staff were a little, I won't say, you know, hip, hippies, like too strong a word, but they were socially uh, styled themselves yeah. as socially conscious and and had a, had a lot of trouble, you know, uh, b- doing games where you were like going <laughs> and blasting the shit out of people, yeah. for instance. I think that re- they, it, because it's amazing how, you know, one can, sorry, Tony, obviously you're going to carry on in a minute, but it's it, it's interesting how looking back, a lot of these games, obviously with, with, with 2023 goggles on are uh, as playable as they may be. Visually, they're still quite quaint, but at the time, I guess it speaks to to the power of the, the themes that you guys had such a maybe like a, a hard time dealing with some of the concepts as well. It's uh, I think we underestimate that, that now. our our imagination ran away with us. I guess I don't know. Yeah, but sure. I just remember I just remember being very enthusiastic about the the, the way it ended, the the end. You know, yes. as opposed to yes. like some just oh you lose. You know, it's quite meta in that way. Isn't yeah, it's it? yeah. I, it, 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 I liked it. Let's put it that way. Um, oh, what? Bef, bef, if we're going to talk about gameplay, though, there was one thing I don't think I've heard people talk about, which is that the at one point we had a railroad that would resupply the state the the bases with missiles, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and and that you know we tried to tune that. We tried to it, it to you know make it work in the game. It was really too convoluted, and also. One of the things it did, you know, this is actually building on what we were just talking about, is it, it got to a point in the game where people would start deliberately sacrificing cities at the far end of the railroad because <laughs> they knew that they were going to go anyway. You know, it's like they, they would like just whittle it down to like the closest base at the railroad head where they could be guaranteed they might get some missile supply to be resupplied. Okay. So... So we couldn't quite make that one work in the gameplay, but also it was sort of like it's a little bit harsh to just to train people to like. I mean, I know that people eventually, really good gamers like Tony would like to say, okay, you know what? I'm going to protect this one base in the middle or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but um, so, but but and anyway, so there was that uh, that that aspect of the game. We we that didn't make it into the final cut, but I just remember that. There was a lot of tweaking and trying to make it work, and mm. it just didn't, just didn't, didn't hack it. Yeah, uh, Missile Command, of course, was um, Atari's first color arcade game. Um, it, just how big a deal was that at the time, Dave? Industry wise? Oh uh, well, it was it was big. I mean, I I mean, it was it was all new, and it was a totally new look too, mm. right? Uh, the the fact that it was a bitmap and you weren't like moving little little objects around or there wasn't like clearly choreographed things like space invaders marching down the screen at you mm. right there were clearly little little things and you could draw whatever you wanted i mean that was a big uh uh a, that was a big at- uh, attraction for the programmers right was to just be able to do whatever they wanted sure and Dave took full advantage of it, you know. For Dave, sure. Dave was a very, he was a very, very, is a very, very smart, uh, focused person. And I, I respected that. We, I, I 
totally enjoyed working with him. And and for sure. So how did that interaction work on a day-to-day basis? I mean, were there times when Dave had to sit and twiddle his thumbs while you figured something out or indeed vice versa? Or actually did it did it just, you know, sail through the nine-month development process like a beautiful swan, Dave? Uh, uh, well, there was never t- tension. If I mean, if something was, I mean, there was certainly you could have a chip go bad or, or you know, s- uh, s- some, he might find some corner case and I had to go hunt it down. But there generally that not, there wasn't much of that. Um, gen, gen, uh, really, I mean, he, he picked up on what, you know, what the hardware could do. Uh, really quick and and went with it right. uh, one thing i mean we did we we got really pretty close uh personally because we were the last two people in the lab and and you know i would we traded scores uh high scores okay you know in the lab you know we we had a little competition going as i remember mm-hmm. it and and then at the very end before we released the game uh we had a little competition like who <laughs> who was going to have the their initials at the top yes. right it was so it was sort of egalitarian that way and uh and he aced me out at the very end he he got like 600 and something high and i got 600 and something middle oh wow and uh so that's as high as we got that's, that's why we never saw the 810,000 okay yeah i was about to yeah, say you know that's, that's how it got into production cuz because we were at, you know, when we were trying to finalize it, people out in the arcades had gotten good, but they'd somehow not managed to huh. to trigger that bug before we had to blow. Wrong. Yeah, sure. So, um, pretty impressive scores given the amount of time you had to work and uh, get those scores up, right? Got, got, got. Yeah, well, we, you know, we had to. We we took it seriously to try and find bugs. Okay. You know, and both of us and. And uh, so it wasn't just a competition who had the high score. It was also, you know, at some point there might be a bug, you know, and so we we tried to push the score up. So. Yeah, interesting. Um, you mentioned about the railroads, which eventually didn't make it into the um, final game. And um, I've always described Missile Command as, um, you know, a, 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 a sort of um, boiled, boiled down pot of amazing ideas. There, there's a whole bunch of stuff which could have been in the game but ultimately for one reason or another were uh, cleared out i that's true i wonder i wonder what you recall about the huge attracts panel which was originally designed for the game and uh, uh, did uh, did, yeah. did you um, have any hand in its creation or, or i i i i put hardware in to drive the the lamps right okay. um so that's about it i mean the artists you know, maybe maybe there was some suggestions to the artists, but the artists had a pretty good free hand to what they put up there in the plex. Um, and you know, we would blink the lights and at appropriate points and so on and so forth from the program. But eventually, I mean, I think you know, it just was. It didn't add to the game, you know, in terms of the gameplay, right. and and uh, it wasn't attract for people. But but it, the the decision was just made that it wasn't wasn't worth it. Yeah. I, I, so we we were you sad at its eventual removal, or or was it just you know part of the development process, and it was the right decision to uh, to, to get rid of it? Well, it was it was it it sort of added to the immersive feeling. You yeah. know, it's like you were at a real control panel in a real you know bunker yes. somewhere. Um, 
But I don't remember feeling, you know, mortified when it went away. Let's put it that way. I mean, it, it, I was more interested in, uh, you know, the game being the ultimate success that it could be. And if that, and talk, you know, and like I said, management was like very focused on the cost and the, and the, it got back to us. We started to think it through. Well, those lights will burn out man. Yep. And the arcade owners will hate that part. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all sorts of, we, we had, there were all, re- all sorts of considerations besides even cost just maintenance of the of the up there so sure yeah yeah um what if you could talk a bit about the other bits of physical hardware on on the game um right. uh, dave so uh you know missile command one of the uh one of the things which puts many people off playing missile command obviously is the trackball um how easy was it for you to um interface with the trackball as a control method oh it was it was it was pretty from a hardware point of view from electronics hardware point of view it was pretty easy i mean uh it had um it had little teeth that would interrupt a a photo diode Mm -hmm. and you'd so you'd get this you'd get out of phase square waves depending on which which direction the trackball was going you would you, you could tell which direction and how fast it was going and so I just passed that information directly to Dave, you know, and, the, and he interpreted that as like I would say I would had hardware that would just say, okay, it's you know, it's changed basically, or it changed ten ticks, yeah, you know, uh, in a particular mm. direction. And so it's an amazing piece. You know, from that point of view, that was pretty. Yeah, easy. it's it's an amazing piece of kit. Um, and as you say, if you actually take one apart, it's it, there isn't a great deal. Oh yeah, there's, it's there isn't a great the, deal the, to it, the mechanical it? design was yeah, great. Uh, Jerry Lychak. Right? Me- it was, yeah, right, yeah. I mean, what I do remember is that unless you tuned up the trackball correctly, you could pinch your fingers. Yes. In the, in the in the at the edge, you know, if you like, if you were rolling the trackball over and you weren't careful. You learned quickly not to do that, right? Absolutely. But, <laughs> yes, old uh, arcade but, war, um, war wounds. Yes, right. You'd, you'd end up with like little little blood blisters all over your fingers yeah. after playing it. But and um, uh, just jumping back briefly, you mentioned Gene, uh, the late Gene Lipkin, of course, um, who yes. uh, came up with the uh, the sort of nucleus of what would become Missile Command. And I wonder if you have any any recollection of him because. I understand he was quite the the taskmaster, and and one of the um one of the sort of um, folklores was that um you guys would create something called the Lipkin switch, which would make them act up or shut down when Gene was doing the rounds in engineering, and so that would then lend authority to the programmer being able to say, well, yeah, sorry, Gene, it isn't broken at the moment, so I, so I can't show you any gameplay. Be, be, because Gene had a habit of just cancelling games if he for spurious reasons. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, I know I've I've heard people say that. I I don't remember if we installed one of those or not. <laughs> I mean, we uh, okay, maybe we were just being egotistical, but we were a hundred percent confident that Gene wasn't going to come in and in a fit of peak or whatever and go no missile command <laughs> because it was already it was already clear that it was going to be a huge hit because people would come into the lab and you know, try and push us away sure. from the prototypes we were working on to play it, mm. you know. So I, so we felt, I mean, a lot, maybe I shouldn't speak for Dave. I felt ex- supremely confident that Eugene, that uh, Gene wasn't going to come in and do that to us. 
I think I think that the uh, the the boat games and the the U boat and the destroyer. I think maybe those had close calls. Okay. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> To the, to the extent they made it to production. Yeah, indeed. So, yeah. and so uh, obviously, ultimately, Missile Command was released in 1980. Um, Fourteen thousand upright cabinets. Um, if the it was a huge. Yeah, it, it yeah was I, just, I, I, I think. A, sorry, David. I, I was just going to say, did, what are your memories of, of of that sort of you know walk, walking through the factory floor and seeing rows of missile commands coming out? I mean, was, was it big big high fives all around? It was. It was well for me. It was catnip. I I I just ate it up. I mean, I I'm uh, I'm not a super egotistical person in the classical sense, but I have it. I do have some pride, and I I really felt great that this you know was making this was such a huge success for the company mm-hmm. and i th- i i think it made 70 million dollars uh, or some ridiculous amount of money uh for for the company so uh well it is it is yeah. the greatest classic arcade game ever designed um as we all know on the, well, on this podcast I, isn't that isn't that right I, boys he's, he's right I'm, it's the best game ever i was just struggling to find <laughs> the um unmute button <laughs> no i i i appreciate i i appreciate it i appreciate that the enthusiasm i really i do because it, it, it's it, i mean i did contribute a few like you know i remember we, we'd have discussions about well maybe we should do this maybe we should do that you know and and you know dave mostly did it his way you know because sure. you know he's He's Dave Toyer, but you know we did we did talk back and forth about what Fantastic. should be in the game or yeah. not. And so, um, I just, I mean, we go we, ahead. Sorry, I, I was just going to say, I mean, you know, it's it. We got we got bonded pretty close because, you know, when you're there at eleven or, you know, twelve, you know, in the, in the evening working on on something, or I'd be playing the game, he'd be writing a program, or I'd be working on the hardware, and he'd be, you know, back and forth. Mm-hmm. It was, you know. You felt like you were in a real team, in a real, you know, relationship. So, you know, I have I have fond feelings about it, actually, from that point of view. Fabulous. Uh, just very, finally on Missile Command, um, a quick nod to Liberator, which, um, uh, you know, some would uh, argue yeah, yeah. Is, is the, you know, follow-up to Missile Command, but it isn't really. But Yeah, it well, it, but... Used ma- it used Missile Command hardware. Oh, okay. Or, or miss- it, well, it used... He used my planet generator that I had designed like two or three years mm-hmm. ago, or previously, mm-hmm. and then they bolted that onto a missile command uh, base. Okay. So it had a DRAM, it had a bitmap, and then it had the planet generator bolted mm-hmm. on, or whatever. However you want to think about mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Well, what I thought was interesting about Liberator was it's it, it, in terms of its positioning, it's almost the opposite of missile command. In that missile command started out quite complex, but then was just sort of boiled down to its sort of raw parts, and that's what made it such a you know easy game to pick up, but a very difficult game to master. Whereas Liberator sort of started out as something, and there was this rotating planet, and then they had this comic book franchise thing to it, and it became oh, it, it just became this whole sort of convoluted <laughs> thing. And you know, surprise, surprise, it didn't yeah. really work. No, I mean, I, I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't. I contributed. The thing I contributed to that project was the planet generator. Okay. <laughs> and I consulted with there were an engineer. Sam Lee took over took over it and was the 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 engineer of record for Liberator. Okay. So I consulted with him, but I didn't like the game. I didn't like the idea of you're orbiting a planet and then you're nuking cities. Right. You know, I didn't. 
I, I mean, for the obvious reasons I've already talked yeah. about. So I didn't, I kind of like went, you know what, you, you, you do you, uh-huh. you, t- you know, t- you, I'll, if you have questions about the planet generator, I'll answer them. <laughs> that was sort of my feeling towards that game. And yeah, and it was, they did, they did all sorts of marketing uh, spinoffs and the comic book thing. Yeah. And it, it was, you know, I, well, it was, it was what happens sometimes when management, you know, gets creative. Yes, indeed. Marketing wants to. So, I mean, you know, they were just throwing, you're right. They were just throwing things at the wall to see what would stick. Uh, So, okay. Noted, Dave, that you have put some air between you and Liberator. Well, what can I say? Some Liberator. (laughs) No, I think we're all on the same page. It's just the truth, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. Anyway. Um, And of course, after Missile Command, uh, you went on to uh, work uh, with Dave, clearly a, a successful partnership that you were happy to revisit on um, the incredible iRobot. I um, now, yeah, I was proud of that. Yeah, no, and and so you should be, um, Dave. You, you're you're credited with creating, uh, and bear with me here, the custom bit slice pepperoni 3D coprocessor, whatever that might be. Uh, uh, I, I mean, uh, clearly, clearly uh, the game was a was a technical masterpiece for its time. I just just wonder if you can tell us about briefly about the project and your involvement and, and and were you more than just an engineer? Oh yeah, I actually so there for Battlezone there had been like a pretty uh, simple, you know, stripped down math box that did like what they would do is they would feed it 3D points and they and the math box would munge on it and spit them back mm-hmm. and then the 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 programmer was responsible for you know drawing the vectors right mm-hmm. it's, so um i was um the, i that would not work at all in a on a raster game like a, a full 3d you know uh, with bitmap filling and so on um so i what i did is i created actually it was a full on computer <laughs> basically it had it had uh it had all of the all of the logic and arithmetic commands you would want. It did it. You would f- feed it a, a, a display list. Mm-hmm. It was like a first. Uh, it was like a, a almost like a, a professional CAD level of hardware. Uh, it you you'd the the programmer Dave would feed it the database and where where you know how the like that we had a whole terrain generator that would it was a special database. So he he'd say okay this. This square of the database is a particular type, and it's this high, and so on and so forth. And he'd feed that whole that whole description in one chunk to the. I actually I called it Mondo Bondo, not Pepperoni internally myself. I don't. Okay. I don't. I may have. I may have made a joke to somebody at some point about Pepperoni. I, <laughs> I, but um, but <laughs> all the documentation internally was Mondo Bondo. And uh, so you, he would feed that, and then it would chunk. It would chunk away, running a full program which I wrote on this special hardware that would parse the database, transform everything in three space to be in the correct spot on the screen, project it, illuminate it, call out all the invisible uh, polygons that were faced away, and. Uh, I mean, it was it was it was a, a full-on Harvard architecture uh, mini computer actually in in the game. Actually, so yeah. I was very very proud of that, and it was and I did it cheaply. Yes. Um, well, well, I was going to ask you if there were any particular um, tricks because I would imagine at, at face value, iRobot 
couldn't have been a cheap game to produce. So I would imagine there was some pressure on you, either assumed or direct, to, you know, (laughs) cut some corners. I made it as cheap as I could and still do, you know, a a full, true 3D, you know, game. Mm like with the with as you as we would know it mm-hmm. you know today with the with the transformations um there was a an am the 2901 bit slices were were an amd part and they had a a controller part uh 2910 which was a piece of of it was very expensive and it was a, and it was actually clunky i was shocked as an engineer um it it didn't take full advantage of the 2901s so I ditched that and I did my own controller. Um, and I I looked I looked at the the spec for how each instruction that the that the twenty nine oh ones would execute had a different speed. And they told you that what the speed was. And I looked ahead and each instruction got its own execution speed. I would adjust the clock to get the maximum speed out of each instruction, but not tie tie like a, a simple instruction to the same speed as a as a more complex instruction and they didn't even do that themselves I was like I said I was shocked so that's one thing I did um, and then uh, oh the funny story is about cheapness I originally targeted that the microcode only be 256 words deep and I designed the whole thing that way well it wouldn't fit I and mean, we added more and more features and more and so and at that time you did prototypes as a wire wrap like it was like individually you'd have this big pegboard and and a a, a tech like an assembler would you'd tell them how to wire it they'd wire it right and and so it was very expensive to redo so we didn't so what i did is i soldered rams on top of of the rams i like <laughs> and, and it got four deep it got up to like one a thousand words and so the joke was uh we we I would I was embarrassed by it, so I would cover it up with a little cardboard thing, <laughs> and it because because and because the joke was it was the Mondo Condo and uh, <laughs> this is too much techie detail, but that during one of the reviews they they embarrassed me by pulling off the little cardboard thing, and and people could see that you know it was like this. <laughs> weird stack of memories you know but i the the reason i i went down that path initially is because i was worried about the cost right i was worried that they wouldn't approve it mm-hmm. you know because of the cost of the memory so i tried to to cheap on the memory and so that's how, that's an example also of how you got in trouble with being too cheap yeah right they they just so i resisted Actually, for this particular project, I was in love with the idea of being of it being the first color, full three D. Yeah, and I re- I resisted them. I said, okay, well, look, if you want to do this, it's just going to cost four hundred fifty bucks or whatever. Sure, you know, it's not going to cost a hundred and. 190 or 200 bucks because that's just the way it is. But uh, yeah, I got side eye quite a bit. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's 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 certainly one of those games which is you know loved and revered by collectors today because of its technical achievements and obviously its its rare, rarity. Um, and it's pretty clear listening to you, Dave, that that would it be true to say it probably represents your best work at Atari from an engineering standpoint? Yeah, um, yeah, I yeah, I I would say that's absolutely true. I had I took f- full you know full ownership of the hardware. Mm. I wrote all of the microcode program. 
which did almost all of the display grunt work and the and the positioning and I mean Dave was great with the the gameplay and and how the characters moved and and we you know coming up with ideas we came up we we would play off each other in terms of well what about adding sharks flying sharks or what about what about weird birds flying over you know yeah. and stuff like that so um, but yeah I would say it's I was I'm pr- I'm most proud of iRobot yeah and but uh, I mean looking back there's 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 probably more than one reason but do you have any thoughts on why it wasn't the same sort of commercial success that something like Missile Command was? Well, it was the first. You know, it was the first. It, it, it was, um, I mean, and actually the it ended up as iRobot after a lot of false starts in terms of what the gameplay was going to be. We had we had a game where we would roll big balls over the landscape and we had like a full-on terrain. You would roll balls and then try and avoid, you know, things like, like one of those uh, maze mechanical maze games okay. right yeah where you roll a ball through so we had that and we had a, actually had a flying game called ice world which was going to be a riff off right. of uh, star wars so um but i think in the end you know it was like people had trouble just getting it right they were used to a certain style of game and mm. and there were some pasty growth games but they were on a rail pretty much on a road so i think that was one reason uh, people and also, I mean, it's genuinely a, a weird game. I mean, I, I, <laughs> I mean, you know, some robot and a big eye. And we, we, were, we were influenced by 1984 and the iRobot series of Asimov books and stuff. But I think it just it was just not what people were used to. And then I guess the, for me, the, the main thing was that it was it was released into the maelstrom, maelstrom of, you know, Atari dying a you know, horribly in 83, 84. So, and, um, you know, the idea of polishing it yet some more was rejected and it was like, ship it. Yeah. I think it was probably just ahead of its time for all sorts of reasons. It it, it was. Yeah. And and ultimately it sold poorly and and it was, it was more prone to failure than other games. Would that be fair to say, Dave? Well, actually out out on the arcade floor. For a couple of reasons. Yeah, no, I, no, that's that's fair for for two two big reasons. Uh, one was uh, the Hall effect uh, joysticks were very delicate, right. and so you know those would would cause trouble and, and a lot of trouble. Uh, Dave did a great job uh, tuning tuning the you know the signals that we got from it. And we worked we worked very hard to 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 make it work. And mm-hmm. I I did a lot of uh, electrical engineering trying to get it to to be stable. So we did eventually, but that but it still it was always just a little funny. And the other thing was uh, that we we had a custom design group that that would do custom chips, and uh, we were we were worried about people just ripping off the hardware. Uh, so the idea was let's put some of this circuitry in a custom chip mm-hmm. called the IC chip. And I architected the 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 IC chip and ripped out a bunch of MSI logic from the PC board and they did an IC chip, but it was tweaky too. Um, And it spent a lot of time, uh, you know, dialing that in as best I could. So those, those are the two that stick to me. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, but it it was, it was a problem. Interesting. Um, That was a problem. There is a uh, urban legend about iRobot, of course, 
Dave, which you may or may ah. not be familiar with. And so legend has it, Atari shipped 500 unsold iRobot units to Japan with instructions to dump the units into the ocean at the halfway point. I've and, heard variations of that for a couple oh, you of... Have okay. No, I mean, I've heard... That, but that one I don't believe. But I but I know that there there were other games. Actually, there were cartridge games that were like... Uh, dumped into the i've heard you know dumped into the desert and buried or or dumped overboard i don't i don't really believe that one i think they, i mean this made 750 and then that was it you know yes. and then they, you know yeah. they, there was a disappointment although but, howard know. scott warshaw said for years that he didn't believe et cartridges were dumped in the amarillo desert and it turned out they were <laughs> So, you know, so I, I exactly, so, you know, I, so I, I can't say for sure, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, well, I mean, uh, the Atari under the, at the end under Ray Kassar was an incredibly corrupt and, uh, and on, not on the engineering side, but on, on the, on the business side, it was like, so I don't know exactly, you know, they could have, uh, it's believable they could have, they would have. <laughs> thought about doing that yeah <laughs> but it, it does seem a bit over, over the top know. when you could have just had a massive bonfire in the parking lot i suppose but um still, yeah uh, or you know or or you know get everyone give everyone a sledgehammer and, right yeah exactly you know dave you you were telling us all about irobot there and about why it wasn't the commercial success you'd hoped for and part of that is because it was released right in this middle of what became has become known as the the great video game crash of the kind of mid 80s dave what, what did it feel like to be on the on the inside did it did it feel like the whole industry was collapsing around you oh yeah uh, it was it was fraught i mean um resources dried up uh um, you know, I mean, Atari, Atari was infamously had the biggest corporate loss in a quarter yes, in history. Yes. <laughs> they lost $500 million. I mean, how do you do that? You know, well, how you do that is you, you, you get over your skis and build a bunch of stuff that you can't sell. And right. And then also, uh, well, I already mentioned, you know, Ray Kassar yep. in the context of, you know, it's so, yeah. So if it was, everyone was was mad as hell. Actually, I mean, I think wow. in terms of that, you know, we had this, you know, in our, we had, we, no, we're the golden boys. Mm-hmm. We can't. This can't be happening to us. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, so. so I mean, Atari during this tumultuous period, Atari was bought by the Trammels and kind of split up. You, I presume, right. stayed with the, the coin-op division, which was then taking a new management. I and did. So tell us how, in this difficult period, where did you fit in? Did, did you stick with coin-op? I, I stayed. So um, so after, actually, I, as iRobot was wrapping up, I, I, I've mentioned I don't want to do the same thing twice, but I was v- extremely enamored of 3D and I had proved to myself that I could design what I considered to be like a world-class solution for it, given the constraints. So I got it in my head that I was going to create a new division inside Atari CoinOp, wow. the remnants okay. of it. That's a bit of ambition and there. No, yeah. I, well, I did. Oh, no, I did. Tell us about it. It, it worked. I convinced, I convinced, well, the, the president at, that when they, when, Nam, I guess Namco yes, bought right. the remnants, yeah, the or, right? Yeah. So uh, Nakajima was like the president then, 
And so um, we, you know, uh, D- Dave wanted to move on. He he had something called the debabilizer. He sold the people for, would do color conver- type conversions or something, and he he went off. And I, I so we, I lost track of him a little bit. But I I worked with uh, Morgan Hoff, oh, yeah. Yeah. who was the project manager, yeah, yeah. and um, and Sam Lee came along, mm-hmm. uh, who I mentioned already, and we we formed a project team and sold Atari management that we could design a, a cheap 3D CAD system that would also double as a very high-end video game system. Okay, sounds And I architected, yeah. I architected it out and we negotiated a contract with, with the Atari management mm-hmm. that would pay us handsomely if it you know, worked. And did it, Dave? And, <laughs> Actually, the hardware worked. The hardware worked great, but the thing is, they they were dying. Right? It was like this was whole era of limited resources. So, yeah, I, like my hardware worked worked fine. It it and it produced uh, more three D vectors than even the CAD systems that were selling from Slug and Graphics produced. It did texture mapping. In 1986, I was say, give us the date. So it, this is 86, and you've got texture. This is 19, 1986 is when I was when the hardware was basically f- wow. f- the, firmed up. I I I did two full custom chips myself from all of it. I laid it out. I architected it. I went to I, so they couldn't afford to hire to 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 buy decent CAD tools from VLSI technology, which is this technology we're using. So I went to the VLSI technology and I begged them for free time okay. at night. <laughs> at, no, I, I, and their engine, one of their engineers was gone on sabbatical for a month. I said, give me his CAD system. Okay. And so I spent 20, I, I swear to God, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, wow designing these chips and getting them just done before the guy came back from sabbatical because Atari wouldn't pay that, for for it. And I was just so driven to just like to get this thing done. And this and this it worked. Is, so this is texture map polygons in nineteen eighty six. So this is a this is a good eight years before, you know, Sony kind of made that term popular. Right. No, yeah, no, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. No, it, it and it worked. It worked. And I I Sam Sam did, I architected some chips to do the texture mapping. Sam uh, Im- implemented them as chips. Wow. So we had a four chip system and uh, it, did a, it did a full million 3D vectors a second in a pipeline. Wow. Uh, there's patents for what? it. It's like the whole, the whole nine this yards. Is, so what happened so, to that? I mean, you say you, you made these chips. I mean, did you make some demos? Was there, was there some early games made? Yeah, there was. Yeah, actually, I was... I, so I mentioned that they're like research poor. So we were like struggling, struggling, and we had a working hardware, and they were they would not dedicate. I, the, Nakajima didn't like me. Oh, okay, <laughs> okay. Any any <laughs> reason why? Right there. Any reason? Well, because I was I was full of myself. Did you beat him at go? Did you beat him at go? Is that no, what no, you no, no, no. But I nego- I had negotiated very hard for the terms oh, of this. Uh, if we were going to create a whole new division for them, you know, and then it's stuck in his craw because he was a Japanese manager. Okay. <laughs> and, the, and people just didn't do that. Engineers to, did what they were told. Interesting. Culture so, <laughs> clash. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I know. So that was a whole mess like that. And then uh, finally, 
finally, so we had a demo and uh, there's a guy, Jim Morris, who was a programmer at Atari. He was a good, you know, good, smart guy. He did some some CAD tools for us to port onto it. Mm. And so we had a full wow. miniature CAD system going. And and eventually I just went to to Nakajima and his henchman, Dennis, and I said, look, guys, you know, if you're not going to do anything, let's just spin it out as a startup, yeah. you know? And so, and eventually it did. It spun out as a startup. That- and I raised $8 million uh, to from some VCs. Wow. So hang on, this is so yes. at what point? So they're not going with this what sounds like groundbreaking technology. So is this when you leave Atari? I know. Yeah. I was Yeah, that's I I actually I, I had sort of meant emotionally left Atari hmm. after iRobot. Yeah, yeah. Right. It's like I was a whole I was sort of off as a wart on the side trying oh. to get this division started. So Okay. <laughs> I didn't I didn't work on work on games. I was working on hardware so we could do yeah, games. I see. Uh you Can, know. So, yeah, and that's when I left. I left in 89 oh, and started this Well, startup. can we, I mean, this so, podcast, this podcast does focus on, on coin-up games from the classic period. But we've got to ask, is that this startup, what, what did it go places? Uh, okay. Uh, obviously, you haven't heard of it. Yeah, well, sorry. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. So okay. you are not you are not we calling were, well, us from no, your mansion no, it, it, in the it, Caribbean, then. Right? It, no, I'm not. Right. No, I'm not. Okay, so we we you know also I was like very aggressive, and I I styled it with the VCs as we were going to go compete with Silicon Graphics, okay. <laughs> right. and and Sun and Apollo, and mm-hmm. but um, uh, without you know putting too fine a point on it, it was. Even though eight million sounds like a lot of money, it's not a lot of money to 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 do something like that. And so, uh, you know, so we we did actually go to SIGGRAPH, which was oh, the graphics. Yes, yes, I know that conference. Uh, and, and we had a product, yeah. and uh, and then so it, but it was too expensive. Okay. So that so okay so to make a long story short, so we tried to respin it. This is actually sort of interesting. We tried to respin it as a adding card. For PCs, oh, okay. for a 3D graphics ah, adding that card. Was a market. This yeah, was in 19, yeah, yeah. 1992. I, we said, look, you know, let's go be, let's go, because instead of a CAD workstation, that's expensive, right? You got all the monitors and all the, you know, so you just go leech off of the PCs that were, there was a PCI bus, right? And all that stuff. And we, we had a whole architecture. It was in development. And then the VCs, uh, I try not to be bitter. They killed it. Aye, they right. stole all the engineers and went and took them over to a company called Chromatics, okay. which was a big, sexy, well-funded startup. Uh, that was, uh, and yeah, so that's what happened to okay. it in the end. Okay. I, you know, I. Well, I'm sorry <laughs> if that was painful revisiting that. Just do one was. last thing. Of course, <laughs> if you left in '89, is that Atari did were uh, that was about the time they were exploring polygon games like hard driving it was some of the ideas that you pioneered could you see them in those hard driving and race driving uh they were using uh they were actually using off the shelf chips as i recall like there was a a chip called a tms 320 or something and it it did it did math it did math uh they didn't i mean I'm, i'm not taking anything away from that i'm just saying it wasn't anything that i it wasn't like a. It wasn't like the the ghost of iRobot. It's like I see, uh, I, see I see. Yeah, um, we're so. going to bring it right up to date because we understand that you recently auctioned off some of your Atari artifacts. Uh, 
a missile command I prototype, iRobot, cabinets, loads of documentation. We just wondered what, why? What made you, after all these years, decide to sell some of these treasures? Uh, well, the, the, <laughs> you call them treasures. <laughs> treasures to us. <laughs> they, were, oh, yeah. they, were, they, were, they were in boxes, and I just never, you know... Actually, it's a funny story. Is like at, at one point I was looking at the 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 video games. I had a a Tempest, a Gravatar, a Missile Command prototype, and an, an iRobot prototype. And I and I was looking at them and I said, "Let's just sell these suckers, you know? <laughs> okay, just just sell them as video games, right?" And my wife said, "No, no, 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 no. We're keeping them." So we kept them. We kept them, you know, right? And then you know, and then finally it was like she says, "Okay, you can sell them." You know, the, 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 let me just cut in. That's the exact opposite of every single arcade collector scenario. I know. Well, I tried to. I'm them. trying to tell you. I I I'm led a different a different vector here in the video game. No, I mean I was just sort of after iRobot and after this this whole thing with trying to spin out from Atari. I was like so toasted and done with all of it. <laughs> you know, I was done. And she was nostalgic, and so, and I, God bless her, she was right. I mean, you know, they, they, someone bought them, someone bought those, and paid up. Now, for obviously, them. we wouldn't be rude enough you know, to ask you how much money you made, but how much money did you make? It was was a, a lot, but you know, for for in my estimation, but it was it was it was substantial. I mean, some I, I guess some museums bought them. Okay, well, I'm, and there, what 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 made it special to them was that it was prototypes and they had provenance you know had all the design documents yes, and yes, you know that kind of stuff um, just to, uh well yeah like you said at least now they can be appreciated um they're not just in boxes in your in your garage um we understand that you attended the recent 50th reunion of, of atari which uh, i did um I had, did. did you have a good time what was it like oh it was great i mean i you know i went off and had a whole uh, after that's that startup spinoff, I had a whole different career. I looked, didn't look back and I did all sorts of other stuff. Um, so I didn't really keep up with the gang, you know, and, uh, but it was great to see Dave again. I was very happy to see him. And I, and Eugene was, you know, yeah, Eugene a, Jarvis a, was there. I was very happy to see him. It was like, you know, brought back a lot of memories. We reminisced about, you know, times he almost died. <laughs> Right, well done. Yes. Oh, that's <laughs> How nice. Seriously. I saw. I. I t- Tony. Tony shared a photograph of Eugene in in and and the brightest green oh, Hawaiian no. shirt he's, I've seen for some time. Still, that was quite the statement. That shirt. Still the same. You know, he was. He's a a, a big personality. Let's put it that way. He yeah. is. He is very. He was a big personality. Um, we so, did, I mean, it was fun having him as a friend. Of course. We um, we of course do want to ask. Did you actually go up to Nolan and and uh, challenge him to a rematch uh, on Go? No, I didn't do that. No, I mean, I mean, I I, I don't want to make too much of it. I mean, very you good. know, at any other company that would have been career limiting, right? <laughs> Completely. Good. Nolan was a, he had a big ego, but he was also very chill. And you know, as I look back on it. Mm-hmm. He was probably the most sane CEO of any that I worked for. I mean, he and, and and the nicest. I mean, he 
No, I didn't suffer any consequences I can t I can detect from that indiscretion. Well, perhaps so, that's one of the many know. reasons that made Atari special. Can I just say thank you so much for coming on the, the show? Um, sure. And reminding us that the, the arcade titles that we talk about on this podcast were not just programmed, they were built. So thanks for reminding us that without engineers like you creating the hardware, we wouldn't have played those games that we all you know remember and love so thank you for sharing your story dave sure absolutely i don't think i could have put it any better than paul just did there thank you so much um yet again it's it's uh it's an honor to get a guest such as yourself on the show um so thank you for all the stories thank you very much yeah all right it was fun yeah thanks dave uh, for me personally um it's uh, a delight to finally have spoken to the trifecta of missile command so that's yourself rich adam and uh, dave toyer of course so that's that's, that's been a, a, a sort of personal um highlight for me um awesome and yeah well you, impressive what you did with missile command you know the all you know winning the world record was... don't encourage him dave shall we shall we remind everybody yes, again <laughs> what tony what did you can do we talk about me now for 15 weird minutes game from um, like way back when <laughs> but, uh, but no thanks dave and um just interesting to get a slightly different angle on the development of these great great games versus the conversations we we've had today which is probably you know predominantly the rock star programmers it's just uh, you know good to get a bit of the um different perspective from you so thank you yeah what he said yes, thank you all right okay it was fun you've been listening to the ted dabney experience podcast with me richard may retro gamer magazine's paul drury and arcade blogger tony temple the show was produced and edited by myself with a bespoke score and sound suite by ghost of wood additional technical support by jason arbor Thank you.